All right, come on in. We are really eager to get to some of your questions. There were a lot of questions that were submitted. So I want to say two things about that. First, well, maybe three. First, thank you very much for engaging with the material. The questions are all so very thoughtful. Uh, so on the behalf of who's up here, we really appreciate that. If we don't happen to get to your question, please don't take it personally. It's not like we thought it was unimportant. There were just so many. We have just so little amount of time to do it. Also, uh, we really trust that the questions are going to be helpful and thoughtful. They probably, because of nature of it, aren't going to be comprehensive. We're not going to say everything we can on a particular topic. So that's why Mark and Keith, Shannon and I, number of staff, we're going to be around here. These two guys will be around here for at least an hour after lunch. So if you want to engage with them, I really encourage you to do that. And your SiteMaker staff is here for the rest of the week, so we really want to engage on these issues. Let me pray, and we're going to get right to it. God, we're grateful for our time together. Give us ears to hear. Give us clarity and wisdom. We want to honor you, not only in, in uh, what we do, but in the way we think about what we're called to do as your people. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm simply going to go through a series of questions and just read them, and then throw it to you guys. Here's the first question. If after marriage I found out that my spouse cannot have sex for physical reasons, what should I do? Should I divorce them because they cannot sexually satisfy me or procreate any children? Wow. Yeah, that's just... <clears throat> so I think there were a few questions in there regarding I'm in a marriage or what if I'm in a marriage at some point where sex for one reason or another is not possible. Um, and the first thing I would say is for the person who, who wrote that, and there is a loss, a, a deep loss, uh, because again, sex by design was meant to be something that continues as this wonderful celebration of a marriage and a strengthening of your marriage uh, for, for, for a long time. Obviously, again, that 70-year-old man I mentioned uh, testified to that, but often in marriage, sex does change over the course of a lot of time, but specifically with the disability aspect, disability of unable, I would say the call in marriage will always be uh, to die to self so that your spouse can experience life. And uh, again, this is the call that we see in Ephesians 5 of Christ giving up of himself uh, for the church. And, and obviously he's speaking especially to husbands, but I think it goes both ways in, in a marriage. And so I think there's, number one, a call that there's a lament for both people, I'm sure, in that, in that circumstance where there's a physical inability uh, that you both will grieve in different ways. But I think the call here is to see this as in God's sovereign providence, he has allowed you to be in, in the circumstance and he has good for you in this. In the midst of the pain, in the midst of a true loss, uh, there is the good of being able to more, in a sense, more powerfully reflect upon the sacrificial love of our Savior. The sacrificial love who says, um, yes, this is something that we don't experience, but this does not change my love for you. This is not, because as I said earlier, sex and marriage are linked, but they're not the same thing. And so sex is meant to further enhance marriage, but because you're unable to have sex, it doesn't mean you're not married. And it doesn't mean that your union is not any, is, is diminished in any qualitative or like true way. It's still a marriage. And it's still a marriage that Christ calls you to, to love and to grow in. And that's just, 
for, for many of us, we don't get to choose the trials we face. Uh, but the trials we face are chosen by God. Uh, a, a, a former boss of mine said, you know, God doesn't just throw out suffering like this water and it just splashes on uh, some random people. God has very particular purposes in the unique trials that you go through. So if this is you or if this will be you in the future, this is a trial that God has allowed for the purpose of growing you and actually being a picture of Christ. And so you actually get to be this picture of Christ's love to your spouse in this. They get to know the love of Jesus better through the way that you love them through that. But it's hard. And that's what sacrificial love is all about. That's great. Thanks, Mark. Here's the second question. Is birth control sinful? Kids are a blessing, but um, how can God provide financially and spiritually for an infinite number of kids? Yeah, maybe, maybe I'll just take this one as well. It's just a, th- this is a great question. And obviously it makes a lot of sense given all the things I said about procreation uh, as a part of God's design. And I'll say there's a lot of questions in here that will probably fall under the category of scripture does not explicitly uh, talk about birth control. And so we don't have a proof text to go to to say whether this is sinful or not. Um, and so what we have to do is use biblical reason to say, what does scripture provide for us and how do we move forward? And I think with a lot of questions, especially birth control, I would not say scripture gives enough warrant to say that it is always sinful to use birth control. And I think the reason that was just given, there could be wisdom in using birth control. Uh, there could be a situation, I know people who a spouse to get pregnant for the wife could endanger her life. And so uh, they're choosing not to have children so that the wife can, cannot die. Um, so, and there are many other reasons, and I think there can be even wisdom principles. But two things I would say would be a concern for me in birth control would be, number one, it's used because of fear. It's used as a substitute for trusting God. And so I don't trust God that he can take care of us if we have children. So I'm going to trust birth control instead. I think that's, that's an issue there of trusting the Lord. I think the other issue could be, I don't want to have kids because they're, they're a nuisance. Uh, they're they're going to in some way impede on my plans for my life. And I would say, if you get married, you should assume part of the plan is that God wants you to be fruitful and multiply in your marriage. And so that would be a, a second thing. And then the third thing would be, um, just be careful about this idea of, I can have a child whenever I want. Um, so we're going to wait three and a half years. We're going to use birth control for three and a half years. And then we're going to have a child on the 37th month of our marriage. Uh, it's not the way it works. Uh, you might, but... God is the author of life. And you might find, uh, and, 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 and you just want to be careful about assuming too much about your ability to bring forth life. Yes, the act of sex is how it happens, but God's the author of life. Any child that's born is because God created them through the means of sex. One way that I heard it described once, and I'm curious, Mark, what you think, is there's a difference between planned parenthood and planned unparenthood. Mm. So birth control is okay if you're thinking, how can I wisely plan parenthood? But if it's to plan not to be parents, would would you agree with that? Yeah, I I think, again, it goes to the issue of, I would really want to know why you don't want to have kids at that point. I mean, I I think in general, that's not the right approach, but I would want to dig in and say, why why don't you want 
Children, look at all the things the Bible says about the blessings that children bring about. Again, if there are issues of the mother's life is at risk and other things like that, that might be a separate issue. But if there's a fundamental kids, nope, one be married, no kids, I think there's a deeper conversation needs to be had at that point. Great. Next one's a softball. Uh, What should intimacy look like in dating? I'm just kidding. That's not a softball. (laughs) So both physical and emotional intimacy, what should it look like in dating? Keith, you want to give that a try? Yeah, sure. Um, I think, I mean, if we look, again, we got to look to scripture. So we have scripture describe marriage and we have scripture describe singleness. So, and then we have brothers and sisters in Christ. So in the context of a dating relationship, that is your sister, your brother in Christ. And so that should fundamentally lay the groundwork for what intimacy looks like physically and what intimacy looks like um, spiritually and um, emotionally. And so you kind of have to go off of that groundwork. And I think this is my sister in Christ. Yes, I'm pers- or my, in my context, but you know, for the ladies in the room, this is my brother in Christ. How do I best love him, love her, and love God in fulfillment of the second, the two greatest commandments, and then work it out from there, you know? Yeah, and I, it's, it's, it's tricky because the Bible doesn't talk about dating. Uh, the majority of the marriages in Bible are arranged marriages, or they're things that we just don't get a lot of the details and how that developed. But I, th- I think it's um, a really important principle is to really guard that marriage is, is, a, is, is this institution, this covenant that God has established. And it doesn't matter, even if you expect to be married, you're not yet married. And there is an understandable growing towards marriage. And in that, especially on the emotional, relational intimacy, that's going to ramp up as you get closer to marriage. Um, but I would say, you, and again, this is a principle issue. I don't I, I don't feel comfortable saying like you should never kiss before marriage, that that is always sinful, but I respect people who don't. And I think you have to be really careful with this idea of physical compatibility before marriage. What if, what if we're not physically compatible? That's why we have to kiss. We have to have sex maybe because what if we're not compatible? I would say that's a very worldly way of thinking about compatibility, that the issue is not, the, the compatibility is, is your relational intimacy with this person and, and the sexually comes out of that. And, and again, I've heard many, many, many people who come to Harvest who had sex before marriage and they said it was great. And we thought this would be great. And as soon as they married, married everything changed. And so don't assume that uh, this is a good kind of go- like rubric to understand what sex is going to be like in marriage. But yeah. And I think we need to remember what is the purpose of dating. And again, it's not how, it can, how much can I get out of this person before marriage to satisfy my own selfish desires. But you're wrestling through the question, is this individual, is this the person God is calling me to spend the rest of my life in service to for his glory? And what information, what do you need to do to to answer that for yourself? And that's what a dating relationship should look like. And I, I definitely think that in, in, in a lot of dating relationships, we do things emotionally, relationally, physically for our own selfish gratification and not in search of finding the answer to that question and not trying to work through that for ourselves and with the, with the person we're dating. Well, one helpful passage for me uh, was 1 Timothy 5.2, where Paul says that the younger men treat the women as sisters 
with absolute purity. So there's two helpful things there. They're, they're not in the category of girlfriend. They're in the category still of sister. And absolute purity needs to govern, govern the relationship. And I appreciate the question because it wasn't just physical intimacy. It's emotional intimacy as well. I remember years ago reading an article calling, Is Dating Emotional Fornication? And all they were saying is, you, you can <clears throat> draw the line really clear physically, but yet emotionally, you're treating this other person as your spouse, and that is equally as dangerous. We're not guarding each other's hearts. And yeah. what you brought out really well, the blessing of a marriage is there's a covenant, there's an agreement, there's protection built yeah. into it. Mm-hmm. Let me get to the next question. If sex is particularized, that was one of your points, and not an attraction to an entire gender, does that mean that soulmates are a thing? And maybe I'll just expand on that. We're tempted to think there's one person out there that God wants me to marry, and I got to find that one person. Is that what you're saying? No. <laughs> um, Didn't think so. Yeah. So one, one way to think about it is um, if you are married, you might ask the question, is this the one? The answer to that question is you're married to them. So they are the one. Um, that it, it, it's, it's kind of seeing it in the other way around. Now, obviously there's wisdom. There's wisdom in who we marry. And again, that goes back to sex before marriage can really cloud that wisdom and discernment whether you should. So the issue I think is less about finding the perfect person. There could be endless numbers of compatible people that you could have a great marriage with. And the issue is not finding just the one, but prayerfully, in community with others, talking to other people as they see your relationship develop with someone, um, say, and again, I think this is where the intimacy that you find in your dating relationship can help with that idea of having blinders on. If you are going too far with that person emotionally or physically, it's hard to keep those blinders on because you're awakening love to a degree that is really reserved for marriage. So I guess the principle here is to say, God cares so much about that promise that's made, uh, that that's your guide to know if you're with the right person, is the fact that you covenanted with them before the Lord in that. Um, and, and that's why I think you have to, yeah, you want to be discerning. Uh, you want to pray that the Lord will guard your heart against starting to give yourself prematurely uh, to someone that really God is calling you to covenant with someone else perhaps in that. So... I really appreciated when you talked, Mark, about way back in the design of the Lord in Genesis 1, that marriage came about with the greatest, the first command to be fruitful and multiply. And of course, there's a physical component to that and a spiritual reality to that. And doesn't that help to define relationships with God at the center? Hmm. I've heard it said every relationship, but particularly in marriage, the husband and the wife, as they look to Christ, maybe the the top of the triangle, well, they grow closer to each other as they grow closer to the Lord Mm -hmm. with him at the center. Mm -hmm. And that's the pivotal key. And that really helps us to understand maybe, Keith, what you were saying, some of those things that can um, cloud our judgment about relationships. It's, it's more about how I feel or how if I'm attracted as opposed to what does God purpose for relationships yeah. and for our life. Yeah. 
And I appreciated how you took us through that passage in 1 Corinthians that where Paul makes clear that the goal in marriage and sex is to serve the other person. And I think there's been a generational shift in that it's easy these days to look for marriage not with someone that I can serve with, but someone who knows and loves me. It's the uh, I've been dreaming of the true love's kiss theology. So we want someone who just knows me and can care for me and understands me. And that really is a shifting around of how the Bible promotes sex yeah. and marriage. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, I think that's a major problem with the concept of soulmate is it goes back to this idea. I'm looking for another soul that will fill some type of void in my soul. And, and that's using somebody else to do what Christ is supposed to be doing on us through his spirit. And so that's a major issue with, with the concept of soulmate. And, and, and kind of back to this idea of what, what it would be like with the, like how do we live a bl with the blinders on? And I think, again, it comes back down to this idea, what has God called us to? To love my brothers and sisters in Christ and to love him. And that is my blinders. Passionately pursuing after that and seeing as I'm pursuing Christ, who's coming alongside, uh, alongside of me in that naturally and seeing how that works itself out. And that's, that's, you know, pursuing your true soulmate while seeing what God brings into your life as in a partner to do that with. Yeah, that's great. Well, and if you're a Christian, you already have a soulmate. That's Amen. Right. It's called Jesus. Okay. Uh, next question. Is it possible to redeem a current relationship in which you have had sexual relations? Is it wise to pursue marriage in that relationship? Um, one thing I would say in the context of that is that there, there needs to be an appropriate amount of confession made in that relationship. And, and the one receiving the confession, my advice to you would be, listen, listen to the heart of that person. Listen for a sign of, of genuine repentance. Is this person sorrowful for what has happened? Have they turned from this? Are they identifying as, as Mark was touching at, are they identifying as they are Christ? Not this, well, those were the good old days, but now, you know, I'm a Christian. No, I was in sin and Christ has saved me. And, 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 and listening to that can really help you work through, okay, how do we move forward with this relationship? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I would just say that, you know, God there is a sense in which we can reap what we sow and that can be a very sobering principle from Galatians 6. And so, yeah, sex in a dating relationship can have very uh, big consequences and maybe one of the consequences is the relationship has to end uh, because we've opened up a door to temptation now that's just gonna continue to lead us back into sin. Um, but there's also ways in which, again, as Keith is talking about, uh, while there is a reaping and sowing principle, God's grace is so big. <laughs> and, and he often is so merciful to us that the consequences that would be just perhaps in experiencing sin, we don't experience in, in, in this life. And so, so there's ways in which whether you're, you had a sexual relationship with another person and now you're in a new dating relationship and you're wondering, am I kind of damaged goods now in this sense? I just want to encourage you that the gospel really does cleanse. And, and God the reality is there are so many Christian marriages out there that have wonderful unions and they're both sexually broken paths in deep ways. And so, so I just want to encourage you that uh, believe in his grace for you. Believe that his grace is bigger 
than your sin. You might know the song, His Mercy is More. If you don't know that song, I would encourage you to, to listen to that. Uh, you have not ruined your life uh, if that has happened to you. And the Lord has his purposes for you. And, and the, the issue ultimately is entrusting your future to him and entrusting whatever he wants for you. It's, it's gonna be good and it's gonna be full of his grace. Can I just add a couple uh, practicals? If you're in that situation and your relationship already has a pattern or even instances where you've fallen into sexual sin, um, I would say learn from it and understand some of the instances that lead you into temptation. Mm -hmm. Bring community into your relationship and also recognize the patterns in your relationship that you really must change to honor the Lord with it. Yeah, that's really helpful, Shan. Mark, we knew this question was coming, so I'm just going to pitch it right at you. Sure. Is masturbation sinful? Yes. Um, yeah, so this is one of those issues where a former colleague, or no, he's still a colleague of mine, but he's been with Harvest for over 20 years. Uh, when he became a Christian, the first thing he did was go to the back of his Bible, the concordance, and go to M. And, okay, what does the Bible say about this issue? And he found nothing. doesn't talk about it. And so does that mean that it's just a wisdom issue? Do what you want? Well, I think with this issue in particular, there's enough we get from the Bible to say that masturbation is not within God's design for marriage. And I think there's two helpful ways to think about it. The first one is that typically when this question is asked, uh, a follow-up question with that is, well, what if I don't lust? and I'm just masturbating, is that okay? Because we know from places like Matthew 5, Jesus talks about if you even lust after a woman, you've committed adultery in your heart. So we know the Bible's clear on lust, and 99.9% .9 of the time, masturbation is fueled by lust in some form, whether it's in your head, through pornography, whatever it may be. Lust is almost always tied to masturbation. And so as a result of that, we can say, guilty by association. But what about just the act itself? And I think this is where, this applies also to issues of homosexuality. There are very clear passages in scripture which call homosexual acts sinful, but maybe even more than just the prohibitive passages, if we understand God's design, we see that everything outside of that, there's no room for it in his design. So if sex is meant to bind yourself to your spouse, through a covenant promise, what is masturbation doing? It's not binding yourself to anyone. There's no promise to anyone being made. It's not celebrating any form of a covenant. And that oxytocin that's being released, that's meant to bond you with someone else, it's bonding you to yourself or to someone on a screen, but it's not to the person that you were intended to. So I think the, the answer with that is if we understand the depth of his design, we see masturbation just does not fit within that design. And it's really a form of learning how to patiently wait on the Lord. And I'll just say one more practical thing. If you're single and you're thinking, I just need to get married so that I can fulfill these desires. Well, yeah, there's a sense in which marriage is the proper context for the fulfillment of those desires. But as even a question earlier said, there might be seasons in your marriage where you're not having sex where you're unable for various reasons to do that. And so practicing chastity, practicing self-control and patience now when you're not married will really serve you in your marriage because it's not sex on demand. It's not sex every night. And it's a relationship that develops and grows. And so 
Self-control is just as important in marriage as it is in singleness. Great. Thanks, Mark. I'm going to move to the next question. Shannon, I'm going, to, I'm going to pitch it to you. That was that handoff you saw going on a few minutes ago. Here it is. As a woman, I know sex is supposed to be good, so why does it feel so scary? Yeah, I just, I want to thank you to whomever answered or wrote this question. Um, you're not alone in feeling that way. I also just want to say that we're, we're sufferers together. This world is broken. And my guess is there is some aspect of sex and your sexuality that has been impacted by suffering. And I'm, I'm sorry for that. I know that, that struggle of abuse, sexual abuse personally, um, the Lord hates wickedness and abuse. Even in Psalm 10, you can see how God is a God of vengeance against abuse, and he calls it wrong, and he calls them to account, longing to break the arm of the wicked. Um, so you're a sufferer, and I hear your suffering, and I grieve with you. Um, I also want you to know that we serve a redemptive God, a restorative God, a God who takes dead things and brings them to life, a God of resurrection and hope. And so I don't want you to think that you are stuck where you are forever. I really appreciated some of the texts that we looked at, <clears throat> the fact that the sin, not only that we face, we are dead to sin and alive to God, but the sins of others against us and their effects can, can be resurrected, can be redeemed. It's a slow process, it's a hard process, but it's a hope-filled process if you are in Christ, sister. And I would love to talk more to you about, about your fears concerning physical intimacy. And if you have other thoughts, too, either of you. Great. Thanks. Thanks for being up here, Shannon. Uh, next set of questions. I'm going to transition to mostly the second session, the second se and that'll take us to, to lunch. Uh, Mark, you spoke about how to think about pronouns, but how should we as Christians respond and think about a request to use a person's different name that they have chosen to reflect their chosen gender. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I want to start by saying that <clears throat> when it comes to issues of conscience, uh, the Bible does guide us in Romans 14, where it talks about whatever is not of faith is sin. And so if your conscience will not allow you to use someone else's name, you want to be careful about uh, listening to your conscience in that. And you want to ask the question, can I do whatever I'm doing in anything in life to the glory of God? Is this loving God? Is this loving my neighbor? Is this something that I am doing by faith? So I think that's a helpful just starting point when we think about these thorny issues. Um, and at Harvest, we, we want to be careful, as I said earlier, to not go beyond what scripture has expressly shown is a command. Uh, what we do know in 
um, the Ten Commandments is that we are not to lie. And so we have to wrestle with that question with names or pronouns is, am I speaking the truth in love? Or is this in some way being deceitful in a manner that would violate that ninth commandment? Um, With names in particular, I think there is just by the nature of names, there's a greater degree of ambiguity, if I could use that word, or freedom, we could say that um, there's no question about a pronoun of he is used for man, she is used for woman, but names have a degree of fluidity to them where many names can be both male or female. Um, And often I've found that people who want to transition will use somewhat of a more ambiguous name um, for their new name. And so I think there's, at least my conscience would say there's a lot more freedom to use a person's new name than it would be. uh, It's it's a harder question, at least with the pronouns. I think there's more freedom with the name, but part part of it might be the name itself. What name are they using? But um, again, I think you need to be guided by your conscience. You need to be guided by the spirit, by what uh, scripture says, and by what you believe God is calling you to in this particular relationship. What, what, what does love for this person look like in this? And there's so many issues with this, but we want to be slow to give blanket statements on this is always wrong, this is always sinful, or this is always okay, you should always do it. Uh, these, are, these are much more wisdom nuance issues, I think. And I, I appreciate the line you're walking because you're clear. If the Bible says it, we have to either do it or not yeah. do it, depending on what it says. But if it doesn't, that's where wisdom comes in, and we have to sort through the issues a bit more. Mm-hmm. Thanks for helping us think through it that way. How do I interact with someone of the same gender who says they like me? How do I helpfully be their friend? Yeah. This is so common. Mm-hmm. Thank you for asking this good question. And this, again, is an issue of wisdom. I think the fact that they have confided in you um, their same-sex struggle, it, it really speaks to the trust that's been built in your relationship, so praise that. But the fact that they've also confided in you that they struggle with attraction to you, it adds another complexity to your relationship and in some way that might be the Lord indicating that someone else needs to be the person to help them navigate and walk through some of these particular struggles and growth areas in their lives. I'm sure that you have seen and can talk to this even more, Mark. Yeah, I mean, I I think it depends on, is that person saying, I like you and I'm wanting to pursue something with you? Uh, Or are they saying, hey, I want to fight against this, but I feel like I need to be honest about the fact that I'm experiencing these feelings. I think those are two different scenarios. Um, But I really appreciate what you said, that the question is, how is my relationship ultimately going to help them and not bring unnecessary further temptation or hurt? And I think that can be, especially with someone who who wants to, to follow Christ in that, I think there can be a conversation that's had where it's like, look, I care about our friendship um, and I want to do what's best for you. 
uh, and, and I want to protect myself as well. Can we, can we even talk about, can we maybe bring another person into this conversation to have a conversation about that? Uh, because it is bringing in an element that wasn't there before, you didn't know was there before. But I think you want to, again, affirm your love for that person and affirm that in whatever way possible, I want to maintain relationship with you. Uh, especially if you're a brother or sister in Christ, we're going we're gonna, to um, be in eternity for all, for all of eternity together. And yet in this life, sometimes there are challenges with that. And sometimes there are appropriate boundaries that we need to set up. And I think that should be done, especially in the light of other people, not just the two of you. But I think it can be a conversation, especially I want to do what's helpful for you. Um, and maybe, maybe if they're praying about it, they're going to say, you know what, what's ultimately most helpful is I think we need to maybe have some distance in our relationship going forward. Yeah. D- does Romans command us to distance ourselves from our loved ones if they do not see their identity as sin? So I'm going to translate this a little bit. You had talked in your, in your message about calling people to repentance. Maybe you could just walk through that a little bit. I'm yeah. sure you're not yeah. saying repent. Yeah. So, so yeah. what does that mean? How do you graciously call someone to repentance in terms of that whole area that you were talking about? Yeah, yeah. And I, th- I think maybe this question is in light of uh, 1 Corinthians 5 about not associating with someone who names brother or sister in Christ, not to even eat with such a person. And I think this is in the context of the church broadly with unaddressed sin. And in the situation in 1 Corinthians, there was actually a man sleeping with his father's wife. Uh, it was pretty severe sexual sin. And, and they were celebrating it in the church. The church was like, that's fine. You guys can keep doing it. And, and so they were saying, you need to distance your, like there's a, if you've heard the term excommunication, like you need to distance yourself, remove fellowship because they need to see the weight of their sin. They're not seeing it right now because you're basically affirming that. And so calling someone to repentance is not a one-time repent, but more of a relationship you have with someone where you are asking them the questions of, can we talk about the fact that what I see you doing, I'm concerned for you. I'm concerned that what you're doing is actually against God and is harmful to you. It's harming yourself. It may be harming other people as well. Can we talk about that? And at that point, are they willing to have a conversation? That's the point I made earlier. Are they even willing to discuss it? Are they even willing to, to think that maybe you're onto something or do they, they immediately say, no, I'm gonna live this way. And if that's the case, in many of those circumstances, there's gonna be a point where they're saying, okay, this person is not okay with something that is very important to me um, and that I want to live out of at that point much of the time they're probably going to remove themselves from you because they're going to constantly see this um, re- this rejection of something in them. So I would say calling to repentance is not a one-time thing. Uh, you don't immediately remove fellowship with a person just because one time they reject you. You continue to pursue them. And it might be a long season of calling them to repent, Call, asking them, can we look at scripture together? Can we talk about this? Can we pray about this? Can you pray about this? Um, and it's after a season of, of that where if they're finally saying, you know what, this is, I'm not going to return from this. And then you say, well, we can't continue to, I can't continue to relate as if everything's okay. 
I can't continue to, to, with my actions with you, assume that you're on a good path. You're not on a good path. You're on a, good, you're on a path that leads to destruction. Um, unrepented of this, this is gonna lead to very devastating consequences, both now and for eternity. And so I think that's the issue, is you don't want to have this person. That's what was happening in 1 Corinthians 5, is these people were like, hey, this is all, this is all good. God is okay with this. The church is okay with this. And we want to... Call, warn people with that. I think with the, and there might've been another question here. I think it's, it gets a lot trickier when it comes to family members. Um, if, uh, you know, if this is your brother, little brother, uh, biological brother or sister, or uh, you're a parent and this is a child, I think that's a different story. Uh, I think the same call to repentance is there, but I think the nature of maintaining relationship, there's a different, different requirement there when it comes to family. That's a little different. Couple helpful things that, that you mentioned. You said be patient. This is a process. Using the scripture, so it's not like your opinion or something. Use the scripture. I think too, maybe sometimes even the phrase calling them to repentance is not the most helpful. It might be pointing them to repentance because as we've been learning in Second Timothy, right? We're patient. We're kind. Perhaps God may grant them repentance. So it's God's work in their life. Okay, we have so little time. Yeah. Here's the last question from this stack, and then I'm going to transition to the end here. How do you prevent coming off as judgmental in LGBTQ plus conversations? Yeah. I, I think a major part of that is, and, and Mark talked about it, even for people when we're heterosexual, we're more beyond our sexuality. And so I think taking the time to notice that person for who they are, their talents, their abilities, you know, their interests, and really celebrating those and taking note of that, that that really kind of helps season that properly, helps you steward that, that engagement with that person properly, instead of, you know, they feeling like all, all I'm seeing is as, as a sinner. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, I think, um, I think it's helpful to note that you might be doing everything right in a sense, and they're still going to see you as judgmental simply because you, you, you hold to scripture. And the fact that you hold to scripture, that automatically in someone's eyes will make you be seen as judgmental. But I think in, in even interactions I've had with unbelievers who their main, their main qualm with Christianity is, is homosexuality. And that's a big, if you know the term apologetics, defending the faith or evangelism, this is a big issue in evangelism. They say, well, I love everything about the Bible, but not what they say about homosexuality. I can't follow a God who, who would not allow two people who love each other to get married. Um, I think one of the things I've found is, especially when I'm honest about the fact that sexual brokenness is something that affects all of us in one form or another. We're not pigeonholing one issue. This is something I've had to wrestle with, continue to seek the Lord's grace in and help. And I'm still in process. I'm still on a journey. And so we're not calling people again to perfection. And I think it's also saying, look, this is not me saying this. Um, I'm called to faithfully represent the creator and designer of who we are. And there's a, a message of hope in that in the gospel. And so I think it's, there's a way to say, I, I'm not someone who's arrived. I'm, I'm on the journey just as everyone else is, but you need to be on the journey. Uh, and so those are a few things maybe on that. Well, and something you said earlier in one of your sessions is beneath the sexuality issues, there's always underlying issues. Mm -hmm. And one thing you mentioned last week from 1 Corinthians 10, where it says, no temptation has overtaken you, but what is common to man. Mm -hmm. 
So whenever we see someone struggling with sin, what helps us to be humble and patient is to realize if we dig down deep enough, we're probably struggling in the same way. We're just acting it out in a different way. That's right. So that gives us humility and patience and kindness. And I often remember Romans 2, where it's God's kindness leads us to repentance. So that's really helpful. All right, two last questions. Um, one is just sort of wrap this up, and then I'm, I'm going to give you a, a Harvest USA softball, okay? So many of us, we look at what you taught, and it is so attractive, the biblical view of sexuality. Like, so winsome and attractive. And then you look at your track record, and you're like, this stinks, and you just feel caught in the muddy middle. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What would you say to people who feel like they're caught in the muddy middle right now? Yeah, well, in a sense, that's all of us. Uh, and we're always going to be in the muddy middle until we get to glory. Um, and so it's varying degrees of muddiness, uh, but, but there's never going to be a point in this life where there's not still remaining vestiges of sin and struggle. And even... Again, in this life, there can be consequences and scars from the past, but, but there is, I think, I think it's really helpful to always remember where this is all headed. Uh, what the fullness of the promises that God gives us in the gospel are really important to remember. And I think as well, to remember as well that God called you to himself. He, he decided, what, what the Bible says is that Christ died for us even while we were yet his enemies. And it says, you know, someone might die for a good man, but rarely that. But Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. We weren't good. And so, so always remembering that our creator who created sex and created us to, to live it, that out in the proper way is also our redeemer. And, and his love for us is not contingent upon anything that we bring to the table. The call of the Christian is to receive that love. And it's through receiving that love that we find more and more that he is cleansing us. Uh, He has cleansed us once and for all, but it's also this experience more and more. So I would say if you feel that way right now, it's going to be a journey. It's going to be a journey of of abiding in Christ, continually going to him day in and day out, and experiencing in him a love an acceptance, all of these things that we were made for that actually more and more produces joy and a freedom. And what it says in in, in the Bible is that the joy of the Lord is our strength. And so again, that joy doesn't come from our track record. It doesn't come from how good I've been. Actually, the Bible speaks very strongly about people who think they can come to Christ based on their track record. That actually disqualifies us from coming to Christ if we think we can bring anything to him. What qualifies anyone from, to come to Christ is we know we need him. We know we have nothing in ourselves that, to bring to the table. That's great, Mark. One of, my, uh, one of my favorite hymns is Great is Thy Faithfulness. And probably the line that I like most where it says, Strength for today mm-hmm. and bright hope for tomorrow. And that's really what the gospel promises us. Strength that we can honor the Lord today. The power of sin has been broken. I don't have strength for tomorrow, but I have strength for today. And for tomorrow, I have bright hope. Bright hope that his promises are new every morning. And if anyone is in Christ, there's a new creation. Which means I don't have to solve the rest of my life. 
Really, the Lord has done that. I just have the strength to honor him today, and I go to bed, and I wake up in the morning, and I can honor him tomorrow. Mark, if any of us want to be more thoughtful about the ministry of Harvest USA or more involved, any thoughts? Yeah, well, again, I would point you... Uh, I'd love to take back none of those magazines. So all those magazines, not the books, but the magazines on the table are for you to take. So please take them, maybe give them to some friends, family members, whoever in your church or in your campus. Uh, We'd love to have light boxes to carry back with us Take those. Also, you can sign up. There's a sign-up card there for to get on our mailing list. We come out with weekly articles on our website you can check out. Um, check out our resources on our website. Also, we are currently hiring for a position for someone to come and speak to college students and speak to parents and speak to youth pastors. We, we have a position for a ministry called our Student Outreach or Student Services. And as you know, uh, you guys are facing... Uh, a torrent of very difficult things uh, on your campuses. And we don't have a staff member who's dedicated just to ministering to your stage. And we want someone like that. Um, And so if you know someone, maybe even if the Lord is pulling your heart to consider what would, God bring me to eventually pursue a career with Harvest. Uh, Pray about that. Pray about if if there's someone you know, Uh, we really want to find the Lord's chosen person for that position in particular. And um, I'd also say that we're, we're a donor-supported ministry. So Keith and I are, are here because of the fact that people support what we do financially. And many of you I know are not in positions to give of great resources as students. You feel the weight of student loans and all those other things, I'm sure. Um, but maybe this is a seed 20 years down the line and, and maybe you do have some resources at that point. But any little bit helps. So, and please pray for us. Pray for our ministry. If you think about it, uh, we've been around for 40 years. I started in 1983, and we hope to be around for a lot longer, but that's only possible by God's sustaining grace. So we need all the prayers we can get. Mark and Keith will be around for another hour. Shannon and I, well, you'll have trouble getting rid of us that that quickly. (laughs) So thank you, Mark. Thanks, Keith. Thanks, Shannon, very much. Thank you. Let me pray. God, thank you. Uh, Thanks for your good design for sex. And thank you that the gospel gives us strength to honor you today and bright, bright hope for tomorrow. Father, help us even this day to honor you in our thoughts and our words and our deeds. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.